Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, to be here at this place that has meant so much to me for the last, <clears throat> excuse me, last 14 years of my life, which I can't believe it's been that long since I... I know, I just was thinking, I was like, man, it's been 14 years. So, yeah, those of you who knew me when I was 20, that, I, all the snickers you hear, are the people who knew me when I was 20 seeing that doctor in front of my name. That's what that is, yeah. Um, but, yeah, very thankful to be here. Uh, thankful for this, uh, this church. Uh, I, somebody told me one time, uh, just in general, about pastoring, um, talking about, like, having a role as a pastor, being an interim pastor, and they said something like, everyone's an interim pastor. Right? Unless you like, start the church and then close it when you retire. Right? Everyone's an interim pastor in some way. And I think about that. I think that is true. I think you know, whether you're at a church 24 years like Dane was, whether you're at a church, yeah, I was here for six and a half years, and whether you're somewhere a couple months, where it is, we're all you know, it's interim pastors. Right? So I'm just excited for this season for Faith Community Church. I'm excited what you guys have ahead for you um, and what, what's to come. Uh, and whoever uh, comes next to be your pastor, very excited for uh, the people that that person gets to minister to, because you guys are all awesome people. So glad to see so many of you here today. I'm going to talk about something that we don't often think about, I don't think, but is very important and is talked about a lot in the Bible. I just think it's really misunderstood, and that is the justice of God, the God who is just and right and good. All right? So we think about this a lot, but maybe not in those terms. God is a just God. He's a God of justice. And a lot of people, and you may, maybe you've thought this in your life, a lot of people uh, think of, when they think of God, they're like, man, God was angry in the Old Testament, and now, and then he was gracious in the New Testament. Who's ever thought, ever at any point in their life thought that, right? Just, he's angry, Old Testament, he's the angry God, and then all of a sudden he decides, oh, uh, I'm going to send Jesus, and now I'm going to be loving, right? I mean, it's just kind of the, the misconception. I hear this not only among Christians, I hear, I hear pastors say this, I was talking to another pastor, we're talking about the Old Testament, and talking about ju a just God. It's like, so yeah, then we're going to talk about the Old Testament God who is angry, right? And I was like, mm, no, no. Uh, it is a common misconception, so I'm hoping that we can clear that up a little bit today and talk about what this means. What does it mean for God to be just? One of the many things that I do in my life right now is I'm the campus pastor and Bible teacher at Hampton Christian Academy, and that is just right around the corner from us where we live over near the beach which is great, by the way, of uh, Virginia here, and uh, great school. I've been in my third year there at Hampton Christian, uh, and so I'm teaching. Uh, I do a two-year rotation of classes. I do four classes, one per semester for two years. So I'm teaching Old Testament again. So this is like the second time. It, yeah, so I'm in, I've started my rotation over this year. New group of students, and I, I never, I was one of those that just kind of, yeah, the Old Testament's there. It's got some stories. When I'm reading through the Bible, I start at Genesis. I get about halfway through Exodus, and I'm bored. I know. Then I get to Leviticus, and I'm like, I give up. I'm reading, I'm reading the Gospel of John now. This is just too hard. I, mean, just, I, I know you can relate. That's why I'm talking about this. I know, you, I know this has happened to somebody else. Please tell me it's happened to somebody else. Uh, yes, right? It's just hard to read because we don't understand it. I do think, I will throw this out there, I think that a lot of times we read the Bible, and we want it to say something to us. And, we should, and, it, and it does. So hear me say that. It first says something about God. I want to make that very clear. 
When we read the Bible, we don't want, oh, I need a one-liner that's going to make me feel better today. That's not what the Bible does. And if we treat it that way, we're going to be disappointed a lot. We're going to get to parts that are like, hey, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm just going to ignore it because I don't get it. But when we read it and say, what is this teaching me about the God that it's written about? Then it speaks to us in a much better way. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that it doesn't speak to us. It's that it's that primarily the Bible teaches us who God is and what his heart is. And through that and from that, it speaks to us in a very powerful way. And I'm going to give us an example of that. I'm going to read uh, the... Well, I'll get to that in a second. I have an illustration first. I'm all... You guys know, I'm ADHD, haven't changed. It is the way it still is, but we're just going to go with it. Um, I have uh, three kids now, which is amazing. I love it. It's my favorite thing that I do is getting to be a dad. Micah is five and a half. Piper is three. And then Penny, she's only three months. She's so cute. She doesn't talk back, so she might be my favorite. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're all my favorite. I love them all. They're great. Um, but the older two kids, they just, they play very well together, uh, but not all the time right? Sometimes they just fight. Sometimes they get on their nerves. And Piper, that girl, I don't know what's wrong with her. I'm figuring her out. Um, we're, me and her are getting there. She, she likes me. I like, but she is just, uh, hmm. I, I t- I'll tell her to do something. She no, I'm never going to do that. Whew, man, let me tell you what. Uh, it, she, she scares me. I mean, she's kind of scary. And she does this to her brother, too, right? I mean, so Micah will tell her something, and, uh, and she'll be like, no. And just like, and, and uh, man, it's, it's funny a little bit, but it's not that funny to him. Uh, especially when she figures out I'm being mean, and that's, I, I love it. It's funny because he's getting mad, and I'm going to make him more mad, right? This just happens all the time with them, with them. And so the other day, this was happening. They were fighting. They were going back and forth. I don't even know about what, because half the time I'm just like, you guys, it's street rules. Just figure it out. Like, I can't help you out here. Um, so, uh, what happened in this particular case was, uh, Piper was trying to draw over top of some chalkboard drawing that he had made that he was very happy with. And I'm trying to mitigate this. I'm saying, all right, let me just take a picture of your drawing. So if it gets messed up, we can look at it later. I, I'm trying all this stuff. He's just getting mad. She knows that he's getting mad. So she's doing it more and yelling at him. They're screaming at each other. And it, I, I'm trying to help, but it's not working. So at some point, Micah just comes up to me, he's crying, he's upset. He said, Dad, make her stop. He's asking me, Dad, are you going to do some justice here for me? Are you going to help me out, Dad? This is unjust. This isn't right, what's happening to me. I don't want this to happen. Are you going to do something about this? Make it stop. Make her stop, is what he asked me. And I think... More often than not, we want and we need God to be a God who is just and right. Because sometimes when we are facing that, uh, facing hardship, or we're facing betrayal, or we're facing some kind of uh, something like that, where somebody has uh, wronged us, we just want to say, God, are you going to make it stop? Are you going to do something about it? Are you just or not? This is unjust. You're good and you're just. What are you going to do about it, God? We want this. We want God to be just. We need him to be good and just and have justice and act in a just way. But we know sometimes that doesn't happen, right? Sometimes this just doesn't work out. God doesn't fix it immediately, right? I couldn't really, I, I kind of tried to help Micah. I mean, I just kind of said, you know what, just both of you go play somewhere else. I, can't, I, you know, I didn't know what to do, right? But sometimes God just can't do it. He doesn't do it right away. So what we do trust in 
is that one day God is going to make all things right. One day he will wipe away every tear from her eyes. One day every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. One day it's going to happen. So we trust him. We hope that he does it now, but we, we trust that if he doesn't, he's going to do it. We know that it doesn't happen the way we want. That's why a psalmist will say in Psalm 22, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? God, I cry by day, but you don't answer, and by night, but I find no rest. To God, I need justice, God. I need rest from the unjust, injustice of the world. God, what are you going to do? You're not doing it. Help me with this. So maybe we don't see his justice yet, but we do trust in today God's going to do it. We trust in that day, and we know that one day God will make things right. We may not every day directly think about God's justice. We love to think about the God who is merciful and gracious to us, but maybe we don't directly think about this a lot. So let's explore what the Bible says, because I think it's central to his character, and it's very important for us to understand. There are lots and lots of passages I could have chosen, but I chose one of my favorites, and that is in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And the good news is that you can just stop right there in the middle of a sentence and just pull a verse out of context and make it say whatever you want, right? No, sorry, you can't do that. Wish you could. Um, the next part of this passage says, But he, God, who by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. All right, God, why'd you have to say that? Now I'm confused. Right? You're, yeah, I, I'm on board with a God who is gracious and slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love. But I'm not so sure what's going on here. He's not going to leave the guilty unpunished. And if my great-grandfather sinned, I have to pay for it. What's going on here? I'm confused. Right? So... Let's give a little, so context is important. Let me back up and give a little more context to this passage. What has just happened? Let's back up all the way to the beginning. Page one, I like to go. I'm not going to go through all, the whole thing, but it's just some highlights. Uh, I spent, when I was teaching Old Testament this year, I spent over, I, I spent almost uh, four weeks, over four weeks just on the book of Genesis because there's so much in there going on. Uh, and the book of Genesis, essentially, I can sum it up with these people are terrible and God did some th good things anyway. It's pretty much what Genesis is about. Starts out with Adam and Eve. They said, you know what, God, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to do what we want. Um, and a, little, a pattern that happens in Genesis is, and actually all throughout the Old Testament, uh, the people in their free will, in their sin, are going to see something that they want. They're going to desire it and they're going to take it. And that's what Eve does for the apple. She says, I see that this is good, and I would like it, so I'm going to take it for myself. God said not to. I'm going to do it anyway. What does God say? First of all, he says, I told you you were going to die. You are now spiritually, you're, you're, you're going to die. This, I, what's going to happen is going to happen. I'm sparing your life, but spiritually things have changed. Right? You can't be in my presence. You can't take of, partake of eternal life. But what he does also say is, one day, this evil, I'm going to crush its head. Right? If you see it, Genesis 3.15. One day, I'm, I am going to send a seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of that snake. The snake's going to strike his heel, but evil will be defeated. So we see justice of God, but we see mercy of God in the same passage. You're going to see this a lot. Get used to it. This is what happens. 
Later on, uh, Abraham's going to come along. Abraham is told, you're going to have a son. And he says, how's that going to be? I don't have any kids, and I'm old. And God says, it's going to happen. Look at the stars. This is how many offspring will be. And God says something interesting. He says, Abraham believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Believing God, apparently, is very important. Right? But saying you believe him, and then actually continuing to believe him, are different things. Because soon after that, Abraham and his wife see, or again, see, desired, took. They see their Egyptian servant and say, and Sarah says, I can't have kids. Take my servant and have a child with her. So again, they are saying, God, this isn't good enough. So God is just again. He, uh, he deals well with Hagar and Ishmael. He deals well with the Egyptian servant because he's merciful. But he makes sure Abraham knows, hey, this is... Not, this wasn't good. I'm just. So, for that reason, I'm going to demand your son Isaac back, if you remember this story. Since you didn't trust me, you have to sacrifice your only son whom you love back to me. That's his justice. But what does he do in the same passage? There's a substitute, his mercy. Justice and mercy happens all throughout Genesis. This is going to happen over and over again. The book of Genesis ends well. Joseph has saved his family, but now they're, they're thriving. There's 70 of them, uh, but they're in the wrong place. They're not in the land God promised them. They're in Egypt. And that, of course, sets up the book of Exodus. In Exodus, they are uh, there, and they are enslaved, and they are oppressed. Moses sets them free, takes them through the Red Sea, and they are out in the wilderness. They go to a place called Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Here are Ten Commandments. The first two of those commandments are worship me only and don't make any idols. And then there's some others, right? So they get some other laws. Moses goes up on the mountain. The people get sick of waiting and say, hey, let's worship another God and make an idol. Bad people in the Old Testament. So God is just. He deals justly with them. But then we read Exodus 34. And then he says... Be, despite this, despite the fact that you broke the two commandments while I was giving them to you, essentially. Moses was up getting all these commandments, and I was writing them on these tablets, and you just broke everything that I said. From the start, God says, I'm going to be merciful. I am compassionate and slow to anger, and my steadfast love is going to go for thousands of generations. Does that sound like a God in the Old Testament that's angry? It sounds to me like a God who's merciful. You're going to see all throughout the whole Bible, he is just and he is merciful. All right? This is what we want to see. He is just. And that's what the second part of the passage is. What does this mean? What does it mean that he uh, is not going to clear the guilty and that he's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation? Okay, this is, God's talking about he's just. This is what he's going to do. But let's, we just have to understand a little bit of what's going on here. First of all, let's keep in contrast the first part of this. He's going to keep his steadfast love for thousands. What's more, a thousand or three or four? Right, so let's keep that contrast in mind. There's also, it's, again, with my kids, I'll tell Micah all the time, I've told you 500 times, you better do that. Right? I do this all the time. And, he, and of course, I didn't say it 500 times. I said it like three. My point is, I said it more times than I wanted to. Right? That's my point. You know what I'm talking about. Um, in Hebrew, I don't know very much Hebrew. I know like that much. But I do know that there's an idiom that is used to just say uh, however many. You just say, yeah, like three or four. So, however many generations, this is what the author is saying, however many generations continue in this rebellion, 
I'm not going to forget it. I am going to be just, is what he says. However many generations it takes for you to get it, Israel, I'm going to do it. I am going to be just. I will not clear the guilty. I'm forgiving for thousands of generations, but if you continue, Israel, to do this, if you continue to run from me, I will be just. He is merciful and gracious, but not at the expense of his justice. His justice is central to who he is. The Bible is very clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament that unrepentant people who refuse to follow God do not receive God's mercy. And lest we think this only happens in the Old Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 7 something very similar. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Let me go there really quick for us. Of course, you know, your pages stick together. There we go. There it is. 7, verse 21. Jesus is going to say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then we will declare, and then we'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So again, Jesus is going to say thing. God is just. If you don't do the will of my Father, he's going to be just towards you as well. So again, we see this. This is the whole Bible. The whole Bible shows two sides of God, two parts of his character, that he's just and that he's merciful. So a question I get a lot. This, we have a lot of discussions in my class, and I have this question a lot. Why even... Why does God need to be just? Why even give people the choice? Right? Why is there any injustice at all? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? That's the general pr- the problem of evil. This comes up all the time. And I, uh, it's not something that we can explain here quickly today. It's, you know, it's centuries of study have gone into this. But I'll give us just a few points for us to understand. Why is it that we even have to talk about this? You know, why, how, why is God just? How can he be just? Well, first of all, he is what he is good. Seems just simple to say, but he defines good, he embodies good. Any limitations he has on himself are self-imposed limitations. He can't lie because then he wouldn't be God, but that's not anyone else imposing a limitation on him. He does that to himself so that he can be good. Whatever he does is good. Whatever he says is good. Whatever happens in his world is good. That's just what, how it is. What defines good? God. What is good? God is good. That's it, right? One question that people always ask, then, well, then why is there evil? Why did God create evil? Well, this is how I like to think about it. If I went back there and turned, uh, turned one of those switches on, would it uh, just turn on the dark in here? No, right? You can't turn on dark. That's crazy. There's not, dark isn't something that I can just flip on and create, right? If I wanted it to be dark in here, I'd just go turn all the lights off. I would remove the light from the situation, if, if you would, right? For evil to be something that exists, it is simply the absence of good, right? We, as human beings, choosing to define good and evil for ourselves, have invited good and said, God, I'm going to reject the good that you are, and we're going to choose this for ourselves, so we cannot make God, the word, you know, the legal word is culpable, right? God is not culpable. He's not responsible for evil because he is good. It is our choice, our choice to rebel against him, our rebellion that created 
or allowed for what we would call evil. Why is there injustice? Because we choose injustice. God, defining justice and being good, that's where we're at odds, right? Because we chose not his way, but our own. So then the other question I get a lot is, then why even give us a choice? Why even make that a possibility that, and I, I have researched this, I don't know. <laughs> that's, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have done that. I mean, I had a student tell me, he said, if I was God, I wouldn't have given us a choice. I was like, yeah, me neither. I mean, look at what we've done, right? I, I've, re- I've read stuff, I, I don't know. Why, why even give us a choice? May, I can speculate. I think it's maybe because God wanted a different kind of relationship with us than he has with the rest of creation. I think uh, he wanted that real love that involves a choice that isn't uh, forced. Like, you know, I mean, the stars have no choice, right? They just declare God's glory day and night. That's what Psalm 19 tells us. Day and night, they're declaring his glory. Maybe he just wants a different relationship with human beings. I don't know. I can speculate. I can think what I believe the Bible teaches but I wouldn't have done it that way, that's for sure. But we, what we do know is that we had a choice, and our sinful choice brought death, disease, and hardship. All the injustice we see is a result of having a choice and taking that choice and choosing to rebel against God. So those two things in mind, the third thing I'd say about this is that God is holy, which means mankind living in the death of our destructive choice cannot be in his presence. And that's the problem. If God is just, he can't allow injustice in his presence. If he's good, he can't allow not good, if you want to say it, in his presence. Right? So while that's true, God also promised to fix it himself. I mentioned Genesis 3.15. God promised all throughout the Old Testament, one day I'm going to fix this. He says, yes, I, I am just and I will not let the guilty go unpunished, but I am making a plan. Through this line, through the family of Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world, is what he says. That's one of my favorite passages, Genesis 12. Abraham and your family, the whole world is going to be blessed one day. And he promises that over and over again all throughout the Old Testament. So why do we have injustice? Why does God allow death, disease, hardship? Why does God allow us to be wronged? Why is that? I don't know if I have all the answers. I wish I did. But what we can do, and that's the point of what I'm saying, what we can do is look to the God who is just. We can say, I don't know why this exists, But God, I know you are good, so I'm going to look to you. And again, like I said, we can trust you, God, that you are going to do this, that you are going to be just. We're going to trust, I can trust you, God, that you will make this right. So what does this mean for us? Not only does God act justly, he's going to call his people over and over again to act justly. I need like... I'm going to do it in illustration. It's just going to happen. I need like three, three young people to just kind of sit up front, just on the floor, right up here. Yeah, it's okay. It's going to be fun. And if not young people, then the people who were young when I was here can do it. Yeah. <laughs> just on the floor, right here. It's got to be on the floor. Other, yeah, sorry. Right here, right in front of me. Yep. Two is fine if there's nobody else. Abby, Abby. There we go. All right, right there. Perfect. Good. All right. You can't see them. They're down there. Trust me. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, just hang out right there while I read this. Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 17. He says, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. 
It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hand. And he's going to go on, and it talks a lot more similar things like that. Uh, this command is uh, very similar to, well, you see this in, happened in the book of Ruth, um, leaving a sheath in the This is where that command comes from. Boaz is listening to God's command in this part, uh, uh, in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, so this is what God calls his people to do. He calls his people to act justly. He says, uh, you know what? The world sees widows and says, forget you. This is what the world does. The other nations around you, they say, yeah, widow, you're an outcast in society. You're an orphan. Yep, sorry, you get nothing. Uh, you're hungry, you're poor. Too bad. God calls his people. Instead, he says, I am a God of justice. I'm a just God. So you see the widow among you. You're going to help them up. See the orphan among you? You're going to help them. The poor? You're going to help them up. Thank you, volunteers. That's what you will be. Good job. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Yes. Israel, you pe my people, you, those who I have called by my name, you will act justly just as I do. If you see someone among you who is suffering, if you see someone among you who has uh, lost their way, who is poor, who has, has nothing, you are not to be like the other nations around you. You're to act like me, is what he will say. You're to be just. So to him, being just is treating people with the dignity of the image of God that they have. And again, the image of God is something that was bestowed on mankind at their creation, and all people have this. And God says, all people are worthy of respect and justice. And that's what he is saying in this passage here. And again, we see this not only in the book of Deuteronomy, but we see authors of the New Testament, like James, say very similar things. James in chapter, uh, James 1, 27, and then we'll go into chapter 2 a little bit after that. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our, of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So you can hear that language, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. He's going to go on. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. Justice means two things. Justice, first of all, means that God is good, and he is perfect in, his, in all of his ways. Everything he does is good and just and right. And the other thing it means is that he causes people to act the same way. So we want God to be just because if, when we're the ones that are knocked down, we want God to say, not only are, is he going to make it right, we want God's people to make it right as well, right? When we're betrayed, when we are uh, wronged, we want it to be made right. We need God to be just. So God's justice is actually good news. It's good news to the oppressed. It's good news to the vulnerable. Because God's going to be just. He's going to fight every injustice. The unfortunate thing is it's also bad news because of all the times we've been unjust the times that we have been the ones that have been the oppressors, the times that we have rebelled against God and said, you know what, God, I'm going to choose my own way. God, I got this. 
I'm going to do it my way. I've done this. I will say, just as I wasn't going to share too much of a testimony from the past two years, but it seems appropriate. For the last two years, I've told God, you know what? I w- some injustice happened to me. I was at a church. It didn't work out. Things weren't bad. You know what, God? I'm going to do things my way. You didn't treat me justly, so I'm going to do whatever I want. I've got this, God. I got it. And God had to just, I mean, he had to, I, for, for a year, I said the, the key verse of Genesis 50, verse 20. It, uh, that's the key verse of Genesis, and I think it is the theme of the whole Old Testament. Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I sent, had that to say, God, you're going to be just. You took evil that, pe- that people meant against me, and you can make it good, because you're just. And what God had to teach me just a few weeks ago was, you know what, Kevin? Actually, you know, you're, you're evil I can use for good, too. He had to remind me of that. You know, your injustice, the things you've done, the way you said, you know what, God, I got you. I can use that for good, too. Because I'm just, not, I'm just yes, I'm going to take care of your sin as well. I'm going to deal with that. I'm gonna, you're going to deal with that. But I'm merciful in that, too, and I can use that for good. So the justice of God... It is good news for the oppressed, but we have to come to terms with the fact that we are also deserving of justice. We are also the ones who deserve for God's justice to be enacted on us for the times that we have run from him, the time that we have been the oppressors. There is one place in history that the justice of God and mercy of God are perfectly in balance, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the one place that they are perfectly in balance. At the exact moment that God's justice is so perfectly and in the most gruesome and complete way displayed is the exact moment that he's the most merciful. It's on that cross that Jesus cried, like the psalmist, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries that from the cross because he was forsaken, because injustice was done to him who did not deserve it. He who knew no sin took on our sins that we may become the righteousness of God. The justice of God is so present in the cross because it had to be enacted somewhere. And God said, I'm not going to make you who deserve it take it. I'm going to take it myself. You who deserve all the justice that I have, the full and extent, all of the wrath that I have in my justice, you deserve it and you will receive none of it if you trust in my son. You receive no ounce of my justice. It is forgiven, and you are free from it. So in that moment, in that one moment, Jesus on the cross, we see his justice fully poured out on sin. Every injustice, every wrongdoing, every rebellion, it is exacted on his son as the just and due punishment for all of it, and not on those who deserve it, but on himself in his son. The cross turns the bad news of the justice of God into the good news in that the debt has been paid. Our sins have been atoned for and the slate has been wiped clean. Once condemned to death by the justice of God, now saved from it completely. Remember, from the moment that mankind sinned, on page 3, chapter 3 of Genesis, God said this was the plan. One day, a lethal blow will be struck by evil on the seed of the woman is what he said. Someone's going to come from the line of the woman, and there's going to be a lethal blow struck to his heel, but he's going to crush his head in that instance. That is that picture that God said from the start. God didn't just say, whoops, people screwed up. What am I going to do now? 
right? People rebelled against me, now what? No, God said, you know what? I've got this already. I know what I'm going to do already. And all throughout the Old Testament, he sees the rebellion of Israel and he says, I am merciful for thousands of generations. He sees their injustice and says, you know what, Israel, you have to be exiled for 70 years, but I am going to keep doing what I'm going to do. He ma I made a covenant with Abraham to bless the world through your family, and I'm going to do it whether or not you want to, <laughs> which, praise God, that he exacts his will, sometimes with us not even, not having no part of it, right? Praise God that he does that. He brings Israel back, and through the family of Abraham, through the family of David, God brings the Savior of the world. You know, all, if, if you know much about Israel's history, uh, the first three kings, you got Saul, who wasn't so good. You got David, who, from the line of Judah, uh, he is, you know, the best king Israel. He wasn't perfect either, but best king Israel ever had. His son Solomon was kind of good, but ended up not being good. After him, the kingdom splits in two. The northern tribes of Israel, they have like nine different dynasties. They're killing each other. They're fighting. There's civil wars all the time. Despite how bad all of the kings of Judah are, there is one dynasty that remains. Despite all of their sin, despite their worship of idols, that line of Judah stays intact, and it's not because of them. It's because God said, this is what I'm going to do. Through exile, he sustains them. He brings them back to the land, he sustains them. And through that line of Judah comes a baby named Jesus, born to Joseph and Mary, who would be the savior of the world. And it goes all the way back to, when Genesis, to Genesis 3, when God said he would do it. God's justice is fully on display on the cross in his son, but his mercy saves us who deserve it from it. And that is why we worship him. That is why he's worthy of all of our worship. So let's pray and thank him for that. God, your mercy extends to thousands of generations, God. And God, when we say that, we know it doesn't stop at a thousand and one. God, we know that that just means that it endures forever. God, we know that your word speaks that truth to us uh, from start to end. God, I just ask that you would help us to, to see that and to know that, God, when we don't feel it, we don't uh, know that we deserve, we don't feel like we deserve it, God, know that we don't, but that you give it freely anyway. God, we praise you that your uh, love and grace to us extend, uh, extend beyond, beyond generations. God, it extends beyond what we know, what we deserve. God, you're merciful and you're gracious to us. God, thank you that one day you will make everything right, and thank you that we do not have to pay punishment for our sins. God, we praise you for your son. We praise you for your grace. God, all that you are and all that you do, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.